The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, good morning. Um, I think it's always nice to come here on a Tuesday morning. And I don't know, there's something about sitting in this more uh, intimate group and the morning light. And uh, anyway, it's, it's really nice to be here in the mornings. Um, I was I was thinking about um, one of my teachers, one of my meditation teachers, who is uh, almost ninety years old. And um, a few years ago, he he went into uh, the hospital to have a procedure, and I. Um, Maybe my question sort of uh, communicated some amount of concern or anxiety, but I said something like, I asked him something like, is the doctor good? (laughs) You know, he's having a a kind of surgical procedure. And he explained that, um, he said, I totally trust my doctors. And... He said, they may not be the best doctors, but I feel that if I have this attitude of complete trust and we have a good relationship and they have a good feeling about me, they're going to do great work, you know, and I'm not worried about it. And just had this very relaxed, um, attitude and relaxed physical presence about the whole thing. And what I realized was that um, for, you know, I, I took this as a teaching, as a, really, as a really powerful teaching. And for me, it wasn't so much like um, his, his attitude of trusting was some kind of strategy, you know, to to get through it, to relax, to cope, to, um, to um, be happier in some way. It was his whole practice is to trust. You know, that, that was his practice, that is his practice. And um, so something about this mind of completely trusting, of absolutely trusting, and um, I think this is, this is an element of Dharma practice that um, is, is, is one of, maybe is one of the foundational attitudes or one of the foundational orientations that um, supports the whole unfolding of the practice. Um, Sometimes it's talked about there, that there are two types of people. There are faith types or trust, faith or trust types. And then there are wisdom types, you know. And um, I think the, the wisdom type is um, 
is usually said to be someone who um, through concepts is able to um, commit themselves to the practice. Okay, so if I know what this is about and if I know this, you know, if I know this is what practice is about, this is what um, I'm requested to do, this is the way the path, you know, is understood. And in knowing that, there can be, um, that, you know, it's a way in and it's a way of committing oneself to the practice. Um, And then there's the trust types. And if you ask a trust type, why do you sit? Practice, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I don't know why I do this, but I know I need to do this. You know, Um, I know there's something, there's something there for me. I know there's some, there's some reason, there's some, um, there's some deeper request to sit down in the middle of my life and experience my life in a more full way. Um, and um, so, to, so, uh, so, that, so, so, so to trust um, sometimes means that we don't know exactly um, why we're doing this and we don't know what the fruits of the practice will necessarily be. And, um, but we're total, you know, it's like giving ourselves over totally to the practice, um, moment to moment to moment. Um, and maybe this is one of the, one of the definitions of enlightenment or awakening to so completely trust the moment that we can let go of our own, so fully let go of our own agenda, of our own um, uh, preferences and thinking it should be this way or it should be this way. It takes a lot of trust to do that. Um, So I think ultimately the trust, the faith um, approach and the wisdom approach come together. So this, this is a poem um, that I think is somewhat pointing at this mind of trust. And it's, um, it's, it's um, the title of it is, sometimes the, it's called the title of it is Sitting Meditation or Zazen. Sometimes the title is Poem on Sitting, Standing, Walking, and Lying Down. Um, Without thinking that he protects the rice, the scarecrow in the small rice paddy in the mountains is not in vain. You know, without thinking about what he's doing, without thinking that he's protecting the rice, the scarecrow is not in vain. Um, I talked about this a little bit last night as well, but... I think there's something about um, the mind of trust and 
even though we may not, um, you know, just as the scarecrow, you know, doesn't necessarily understand what he's doing. Um, he's, it's not in vain. It, it has meaning, even though, um, so even though we may not fully um, understand or um, consciously uh, quite realize what's happening when we sit, when we take this posture, when we um, uh, invite awareness. Um, it's, it's not in vain. No, no moment of, we have this, sometimes we say, no moment of mindfulness is ever wasted. You know, that it's like, it's not about, um, you know, in our, our usual way of thinking, we do X, Y, and Z, and then we get something out of it, you know, sort of like a <laughs> slot machine or something, or maybe that's, you know, you get, you, you know, we think we put something in and then we get something out. Um, but Dharma practice is not exactly like that, that, um, So even one moment of presence, one moment of awareness, one moment of kindness um, is, saves all beings, you know, keeps the universe, keeps the, keeps the world spinning around. Um, that it's not, you know, our usual, our usual measures of things, of time, of results, of, um, I don't know, there's something about practice that is bigger, wider than that, not limited to that. Of course we have our, our, the reasons why we sit and our, our aspirations, our hopes, our intentions. But then when we sit down, we can let go of all of that and just completely trust the moment and completely trust that whatever, whatever life is giving us in that moment whether it's um, some sense of ease and just being with the breath and just opening to sounds and just relaxing. Or maybe it's not easeful at all and there's some difficult physical um, sensations or difficult moods and feelings and emotions that arise. But that we can trust that there is um, immeasurable value in simply opening to the experience of the moment and, and trusting that um, uh, there's something important, there's something beautiful in being with this, in, in meeting the moment in however it presents itself. Uh, we may not fully understand, we may not fully um, see the purpose, uh, but this mind of trust, this, you know, it's, this is not in vain. You know, no moment of mindfulness is ever wasted. Um, I was talking to uh, some friends and um, one of the friends is from England and somehow we got to talking about the Second World War and um, the 
that some people think that there is a kind of, or some people, you know, who were who were there, whether they were in Germany or whether they were in England, that there was this kind of energetic um, undercurrent to what was happening, and so they were ta- these friends were talking about how um, it was almost like uh, Hitler had this had cast this spell over people and there was this uh, this this dark energy or dark magic or something you know and that people were were mesmerized and that you know um i remember uh reading the account of an american journalist who went i think it was at into the the olympic uh the munich olympics in 1936 and everyone in the you know hundred thousand people right or in the stadium chanting and doing this salute you know this kind of nazi salute and he he was saying you know i'm american i have no interest or allegiance in this but he said he had to keep his hold his arm down because it was like the energy of it is like his arm was going up to do this salute and he had to consciously you know keep it down and so these forces these forces um which are powerful. And then what my friends were saying was that um, in the battle for Britain, um, it was so close to um, Britain falling to the Nazis. And that they were sending um, uh, these bombers 20 miles deep you know, if you imagine the sky just being totally filled with airplanes coming in to to drop bombs on England, and um, the only reason that um, England didn't fall to the Nazis is is that for some reason uh, they turned their attention east to to Russia, and there was this moment of reprieve, and then. The Americans came into the war, and then uh, some other things happened. But my friend was saying that during this this battle for Britain and the Blitz, there were these people, these meditators, who were practicing, and um, I think they're theosophists. I'm not exactly sure what the movement was, but doing all this imagery practice and imagining, you know, a white light protecting um, this uh, the island you know, of, of, of England, of, of Britain. And then just at the last moment, you know, the Nazi, you know, they, 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 they got distracted or, ch- or changed their focus. And there was this, you know, opportunity to, uh, for, for a shift. And, you know, who knows, you know, this is just one, one, um, piece of information of, of things that were happening at the time. But um, I, was, I was thinking about that and just, just, the, just the idea that um, we don't know. We don't know the benefits of our practice. And that, but even though we don't know, um, it's not in vain, you know, and to, and to show up and to honor the request um, if we feel called to um, 
invite this kind of awareness into our life, that the, the, the ripples outward are, are uh, amazing, you know, and who knows, you know, who knows, um, uh, you know, the effects of this. Um, and then the other thing is, is when we cultivate this, this orientation to life of trusting, of it, that, that this moment is, even though it may not be perfect, um, is that we're capable of trusting this moment, that the moment is, is worthy of being uh, trusted, then we, um, we, we start to develop a certain confidence in ourselves and a confidence in, in life that um, we're able to meet whatever arises. We don't have to be afraid of uh, our minds. We don't have to be afraid that, um, you know, something, something that, uh, something with it will, will arise that, um, it's almost like we're, we have confidence that we can meet whatever arises. Um, and I think, I think this confidence builds, especially from sitting through difficulties. From, you know, it's one thing to be able to sit down and experience joy or ease or bliss or whatever, you know, you might think meditation brings. And that's wonderful. And we can savor those moments. But I think what really deepens trust and what deepens this confidence is sitting in the fire of difficulties. And um, us- our usual way of thinking is that we, you know, of course we don't want to have difficulties, whether they're difficult thoughts or feelings or, um, you know, grief and sadness and anger and impatience and all the different things that can come up. Um, in our hearts, in our minds. And so our usual way of thinking is to turn away from that and replace what's unpleasant with what's pleasant. And then something about this request of practice is to uh, even welcome what's difficult and develop this capacity to be with it, to sit with it, to trust that there's something there, that the more I can breathe with it, be spacious around it, welcome it, um, that there's a, there's, a val- there's a value in that. And that there's, it's almost like there's a request coming from our difficulties that um, there's something there for me to, to, to to understand, um, to sit with. Um, there's a story of um, that I often think about when uh, we're teaching meditation retreats, and it's um, 
a, a story um, about um, soldiers who were um, sort of left behind, who were Japanese soldiers during the war, um, who somehow got left behind, you know, and, you know, because there was a lot, I mean, In the, in, the, in the tropical islands that are part of Japan where a lot of the war was happening, you know, these are like really remote, just jungle, tiny islands with jungle and something. And, and so after the, the end of the war and the surrender, and the, um, it, it, came out, it came to light that 10, 15, 20 years later, there were still pockets or individual soldiers who had... Nobody told them that the war was over. And so they were out in the jungle, you know, um, living, foraging, um, vigilant, still sort of, you know, out there on their own, still fighting the war. And if you know a little bit about Japanese kind of culture, there's this, um, you could kind of imagine that um, sense of duty and loyalty and, and just kind of, you know, doing, doing one's duty. So when this came to light, um, that there were these, po- you know, individual um, soldiers who were left behind, um, the way that they, the, that the country, that the government handled that is they, they found some veterans who had been, you know, long, you know, 20 years later had been, you know, returned to the main islands and sort of living their lives. And so these veterans were called back to duty and they got their old uniforms out and they, they, they got some of the old kind of boats when they, one of these um, left behind soldiers had been spotted. They, they sent one of these old boats back into these, you know, islands and then the um, sort of veteran who kind of came out in his old uniform and called called for you know called them out and and um, with a lot of respect and interest and appreciation explained to them that um, um, it was okay to come home right come home with them and that um, thank them for their for their uh, service and their sacrifice and um, and you know with with a lot of uh, gentleness you know explain that now now the war is over and you know, we can we can go home together and then when they were returned home you know they weren't ridiculed, laughed at, um, they were given a parade, you know, and people came out and honored them. And, you know, um, so it was this way of um, you know, honoring something that um, And I, and I think about that story on this topic of 
the difficulties inside of us and the conflicts inside of us. And what is it, what is it, you know, is there a part of us that's still fighting a war that is long ago finished? And rather than ridiculing or, you know, shaming that part or saying, don't you know, you know, this is, you know, it's over. That's a, it's like to meet that part of us um, that's still in conflict or that's still fighting with this kind of, with the bow that this, this commanding officer, um, that, that with the respect, you know, with the honor to say, thank you for, thank you for your efforts. Um, in Japanese, there's this phrase, utsukare samadeshita, which is like, you know, very useful phrase to know in Japan, but it says, thank you for your efforts. So at the end of the workday, the boss goes around to all the employees and says, utsukare samadeshita, utsukare Thank you for your efforts. And so you can kind of imagine this commanding officer coming out of retirement and coming back into this uh, jungle and meeting, meeting the soldier who'd been there and for all these years carrying this torch and, and believing that they were in danger and, and uh, hiding and foraging and saying, and saying thank you for your efforts. So it's like, what is it to meet that part of us and to honor that um, uh, that you know whatever it is in us that's been trying to protect us or trying to um, fight for us and and. Um, but see, you, you, we don't need to fight anymore. You know, this is we can we can we can come home now. We can uh, the war is over. Um, so uh, something about honoring what what brings us to practice. Often, what brings us to practice is our suffering and is are the parts of us that are in conflict and not at ease and. Um, don't feel safe enough to trust. Don't feel, um, you know, maybe that, that that's a part of us that doesn't know how to trust, that has fear, that has, um, you know, this feeling of unsafety. And then honoring that and learning to be with that, learning to trust whatever is there, whatever is present, little by little, you know, we're able to bring back all of these, you know, um, uh, soldiers who are, you know, who've been left behind and, and, and welcome them back. Um, so this is kind of the, the mind of trusting the mind of um, not uh, not being in conflict, you know, and 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 the and the the way to non-conflict is, you know, as we say in our in vipassana practice, is to simply become sensitive to where conflict arises in myself. You know, it's not about creating some special state 
called trust or some special state called non-conflict. But it's just noticing where is it difficult to trust right now? Where is it difficult to, um, where, you know, where is, um, where is there resistance? Where is there fear? Where is there anxiety and restlessness in the mind, in the heart? And just being with that in um, an open way, in a welcoming way, and then trusting that there's tremendous value in that, that little by little we bring back each of these, you know, fighters, each of these parts of us, and um, reintegrate, re- reintegrate them. Um, just this invitation to um, meet our experience, to be with ourselves in this way, um, is the, the mind of trusting. It's this absolute trust. It's like um, we may not fully understand why we're doing this or what we're doing or what the results will be. But the meaning of it doesn't depend on us to understand it. It actually depends more on us to actually do it, to sit down and invite Buddha, you know, recognize Buddha. Um, and, and that there's tremendous um, value to this practice and it's not limited by what I think it's about. Um, and when, when it's not limited by what I think, it allows the benefits, it allows the meaning to be limitless. It, you know, it, 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 it's, it's about um, expressing something, manifesting something allowing something to flow through us. When we, when we um, trust, it's like we're emptying ourselves out. Um, last night I talked about this not knowing mind or beginner's mind, and it's like very close to that. To, um, it takes a lot of trust to be so open, um, to be so welcoming that we don't know what's gonna happen in the next moment. But um, we trust that we can, whatever arises, we can meet it. And we can, um, and, and, and the more empty we, we are, empty of our ideas, empty of our, uh, conflicts and fears, and um, as, as one of my teachers says, we become a vessel of light. You know, we light can kind of flow through us because we're not, you know, we're not blocking something. Um, so, I think it takes a lot of courage to trust. It takes a lot of. Um, 
Yeah, courage and um, that same teacher, he sometimes says, you have to be a little dumb to do this practice. (laughs) Because it's like, if we, I mean, it's not about figuring something out. But the thinking mind is a very wily thing. You know, we can rationalize anything. You can think about anything. And so to have a sort of healthy skepticism of our thoughts, okay, maybe, you know, we have all our ideas, we have all our thoughts, but everything sort of gets... um, where does where do the thoughts return to? You know, a thought arises and then it vanishes. And it vanishes into what? You know, into the mystery, into the great silence, into the into our um, into the mind that is holding everything that's that's has no boundaries, no limits. And so this, this is the mind that is evoked, uh, invited when we sit um, and when we trust. And so we have our ideas. We'll always have our thoughts and our ideas about it. But um, our sitting is bigger than that. And we can kind of hold, hold, hold it all. A mind that trusts can accept things as they are. You know, can accept our experience as it is, moment to moment to moment. Um, so, so thank you very much. For, um, it's wonderful to sit and just in this field of trust, this field of um, kind of field of goodness, field of um, willingness to um, be as we are. You know, what a relief. We don't, you know, it's like we can, um, this moment is trustable. It, it may not be perfect. It may, you know, this, but um, there's tremendous, there's tremendous value in even one moment of mindfulness. Um, it's said that the Dharma, one of the qualities of the Dharma, or the nature of the Dharma, is that akaliko. Kaliko is uh, time. So akaliko means that the Dharma, the nature of the Dharma, is outside of time, or is timeless. Um, 
And what, one of, what I love about this is that in this way, it's not about, sit, it doesn't matter if you sit for one, one minute or 20 minutes or a day. It's like to touch into something that is timeless, that's so immediate. Um, it's outside of our um, usual conceptions of time. And so, um, you know, this, this, this timeless dharma is the place where we meet. You know, this is, this is the, the mind of absolute trust, absolute faith. Thank you very much. Uh, and if this, we have a few minutes, if anyone has um, comments, questions, uh, responses, uh, welcome to. Can you read up so many? You've read up so many wonderful things for me um, you know the total trust opens the door I guess for surrender radical acceptance and you know reduces our suffering because like you say we got to climb out of the ring you know and and I was just thinking about if I can accept that I will die today then life seems a little, you know, I, I feel that feeling of relief. Mm. You know, if I can accept today is my last day. It's, it's a hard concept for me, but I think if I have that, that mindset, if I can accept death, then I can pretty much accept anything. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, um, I've, uh, I, I appreciate um, your words and I, it reminds me of um, one of the things that I, one of, early in my practice I remember a teacher saying that it may not be um, increasing age that brings wisdom necessarily but rather proximity to death can bring wisdom, you know, and, and something about learning to, yeah, learning to accept or learning to trust that ultimate letting go can um, show us how to live and, and, and give us a whole new um, understanding of life. And so, yeah, thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between trust and control? Mm. <laughs> the relationship between trust and control. Um, I know for myself, um, the impulse to control is almost directly correlated with an absence of trust. You know, and it's a great 
it's a it's a great you know without judgment without you know any kind of criticism or evaluation it's a great um inquiry when we sit when we practice um to notice what am i where is where is what am i trying to control right here you know sometimes it's even like um we can we can notice with the breath what's the difference between you know and this can be pretty subtle what's the difference between simply observing the breath allowing the breath to be just how it is versus some subtle or not so subtle impulse to control the breath to change it to improve it to, um, so I think control is um, uh, often control is also where the self sort of shows itself you know we it's like the self's effort to um, make its mark, put its will onto things. So, um, you know, just to notice, just to notice where, where and, and to use our, our wisdom when it, when is control or that sort of impulse to assert something, um, when is that useful? When is that valuable? And when does it feel like it's extra? It's like, you know, it's getting in the way. And, you know, um, and I, I'm guessing that most of us probably err on the side of too much control, <laughs> you know, of too much sort of... Um, Effort, yeah, effort, and 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 um, um, need, need, yeah, need, need to control. Um, but, but I think it, it comes from good intentions. Usually, it comes from, th- but it also comes from thinking that we know better. <laughs> You know, if I think I know the right way to breathe in meditation, then I'm going to sort of be controlling my breath and trying to get to that, whatever that is. Where the mind of trust is is acknowledging that um, who knows how this is supposed to unfold. You know, the the more I trust, the less I control the more room this makes. You know, this just makes space. It makes space for whatever needs to arise in the heart, in the mind, to to kind of show itself. If I'm always there, you know, I know better. I know what's supposed to happen. And then, you know, um, it's it's actually a great strategy for avoiding (laughs) what we don't want to deal with. (laughs) Whereas if there's this real spaciousness and real trust, then who knows what's going to arise and maybe something that um, we're not sure we want to see but um, is really valuable to see. So um, it's, a, it's a great practice to just, just to notice when, when the controlling mind 
um, starts to show itself. And what, you know, when is it skillful and when is it it actually getting in the way? Yeah, thank you. That was a good talk. It brought, actually drove home a lot of concepts that uh, have been on my mind. So I was recently diagnosed with, uh, uh, with lymphoma. So kind of been the story that you shared earlier about uh, your teacher and the trust, I think, was uh, something that I went through recently. So I'm part of the way through my residency. Um, so I have enough medical knowledge to understand the disease and read and stuff. But then uh, a couple of my labs, there were waiting to see if I had some mutation. Um, but the, like I'm not a cancer specialist, but the field has evolved so much that, you know, by the time you start reading and uh, finding out exactly what you have and what that means and stuff, um, you know, forget like WebMD and stuff, but even the medical textbooks are like so far out of date that you end up reading like these like primary papers and stuff on like cancer biology and you realize that you actually just got to the point where like, even they don't have good data on what works and what doesn't, and the regimens are new and they're supposed to work, but uh, you just get to the point where you realize that, like, you just go down a rabbit hole, and uh, as you pointed out, I think really the only solution is to find a way to kind of accept that you might die and make peace with that, and that's, like, really the only way to to make sense of it all and be happy. I think uh, there was a... Uh, there's a quote I came across a long time ago. It says that, uh, you know, knowledge is knowing that uh, tomatoes are fruit, but wisdom is not putting in a fruit salad. And I think that's kind of what uh, <laughs> kind of what this boils down to. And, uh, and the topic of like control too is the same thing because uh, I, um, that's like every time in the hospital, it's like a constant balance between control and letting go. And sometimes like you do know more about the diseased and the people who are taking care of you in some aspects, some aspects you don't. So, you know, like early stages and stuff, I was kind of telling them which hand they should be putting an IV in so that the CT scan would look better and stuff. But then there are other things where, like, you're like, I'm happy to just be the patient and stuff. But it's a tough balance, and I think, like, really kind of boils down to a lot of what you said is, is I think it's okay to be in control, but I think you just have to let go of the outcomes, you know? Nice. Thank you. Thank you. You're beautiful. Yeah, and I think there's like, if, you know, talked about like the faith type and the wisdom type, and um, and, and where they come together. And, you know, so it's like um, having the wisdom to um, know when when it's important to speak up and say no, 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 don't, don't operate on this side. It's that side. That's you know, and 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 when is when is it to, you know, uh, to to really, you know, realize that, um, you know, this is the time to um, totally relax and totally and totally trust and totally. Um, uh, mm open up to you know, um, what's, what's, uh, what's happening. Um, 
And then it's this is other interesting element is the whole um, mind piece in healing. And, you know, I think, I think Western medicine is so good at so many things. And then there's now, I think, starting to be more of an interest in just the role that um, the mind can play in, in cooperating with, with science and medicine. And, and so rather than fighting, you know, uh, it, it's like, you know, um, I, I mean, this is just one small example, is that my, um, one of my daughters is, is part of a study and, she, uh, and she's, she's healthy, and, and fine, but she's part of a study where um, she has to have an IV every six months, and they, they do a kind of glucose tolerance thing and check her. And um, we really thought that being a part of this study was the right thing for, for, for our family, for her health, and then, you know, it was a good thing to do. But I knew, my, I had so much anxiety about the needle and for her, and she's going to scream, you know, four years old or five years old, and really, and the first time we went, you know, and I knew it was going to be bad, and it, it was worse than I, you know, screaming, people came running, you know, everything okay, you know. And I, um, after that, I thought, there's got to be a better way. So I worked with her on, on doing some imagery and doing some, just some, some, I mean, this is a little child, right? But it turns out that children have such vivid imaginations that in just working a little bit on the side of guided imagery and hypnosis and just a little, very light thing, we got to the point where she goes in and she doesn't feel the needle. I mean, she literally doesn't feel it. And because she doesn't feel it, it's such a pleasant <laughs> for her, for, and I, and you know, just various strategies. But it it made it it really brought home to me the power of the mind. And t- if we fear something, if we know it's going to be painful, if we know it's going to be um, awful, well, yeah, we get to be right. <laughs> and you know, if if um, we have some other, you know, um, you know, if we, if we take care of the mind piece, then it can so affect our experience of, of even some. So I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I want to, I want to teach this in every children's hospital. And, you know, I mean, what did, you know, for kids who have to undergo really painful um, procedures or invasive procedures, what a gift to be able to just be able to work with the mind or work with the imagination. So anyway, that's a little bit of a, of a, of a tangent, but I appreciate your um, sharing and um, not to underestimate the power of the mind, you know, in, in everything. Um, Okay, well, thank you. Thank you very much for being here.